Welcome to the Red Words Podcast, where we pursue a personal relationship with God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us weekly as we deep dive into the dynamic and oftentimes curious Holy Spirit-inspired book of God's Word. In Revelation chapter 13, John introduces Antichrist and gives his description and where he gets his power. We learn that someone kills him, but he is supernaturally revived. Then, John introduces us to the false prophet, and we discover Satan's attempt at a false trinity made up of these three. But they cannot compete against the triune Godhead. Here is Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. At the end of chapter 12, Satan was standing on the seashore. Here, John witnesses a beast coming up out of that same sea. Scripturally, the sea always represents sin, and in the Gospels, Jesus rebukes the sea, telling it to be still. Again in the Gospels, Jesus walks on the sea, indicating his complete authority over sin. This beast that Satan pulls from the depths of sin is Antichrist, and his identity is identical to Satan's in chapter 12, because Satan indwells this man so he can rule as king of earth. Clearly, Antichrist is Satan's puppet, and he is under his complete control. Antichrist is the epitome of evil, and he is given great power and authority. But it's interesting that his main identity appears to be all the different ways in which he boasts about himself while he blasphemes God. Like all prideful people, to feel important, he has to build himself up while he tears down anyone whom he views as a threat. Well, for sure, those threats would be God and his son. The ten horns refer to ten earthly kings who are granted power over Antichrist's ten regions of earth. The seven heads refer to the seven ancient kingdoms that the prophet Daniel speaks of in Daniel chapters 2, 8, and 11, where he describes the huge statue in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The first kingdom was Egypt, and they were conquered by Assyria. In turn, Assyria was conquered by Babylon, who was conquered by Persia, who was conquered by Greece, who was conquered by Rome. Now, the interesting part is that Rome will conquer twice. The second time will occur during the tribulation, and the conquering will be religious-based rather than military and involves satanic worship. But before we get to that, we learn more about Antichrist in verses 3 through 7. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshipped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, 
slandering his name in his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. Sometime during the Great Tribulation, when Antichrist rules over all the earth, someone assassinates him. Satan uses supernatural power to resurrect his henchmen. Antichrist comes back to life, but his wounds remain. One in his head and the other causes his right arm to shrivel up. People around the world are so enraged and distressed by this assassination and so in marvel and wonder over Antichrist's revival, when he returns to life, they demand to take his mark upon themselves to show their allegiance. This mark of the beast seals their fates forever, and they will be destroyed and eventually thrown into the lake of fire along with Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan. We see how this event triggers such rage that Antichrist and Satan attack anything holy, and people are murdered by the millions. And all the time he's slaughtering these people, Antichrist boasts and blasphemes God. He thinks he's won. And then, tucked neatly within this bit of scripture, God provides a warning. Here are verses 8 through 10. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names are not written in the book of life before the world was made, the book that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. We already know that earth dwellers worship Satan and take his mark. These people are not named in the Lamb's Book of Life because of this decision. And for a time, they are allowed to do horrifying things to the people of earth who hold fast to the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also know that anyone who is not in God's church prior to the Harpazzo will live through this horrific time. But in their steadfast love of God, these people will be rewarded. The difficult part will be the persecution, imprisonment, and slaughter that they must endure. No one wants that, but millions upon millions dedicate themselves during the tribulation to the Lord God Almighty and His Son. No matter what Satan or Antichrist or the false prophet do, these believers remain faithful to their loving God. In verses 11 through 18, we finally receive information about the Antichrist's second-in-command. He is called the false prophet, and he is granted some power. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, 
both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has an understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Do you notice the pattern here? This man is the final character in the satanic trinity, and he's just like the other two. He's another deceiver, liar, and destroyer. This is a man specifically chosen from some nation on earth, but because of the Greek and Hebrew translations, and because he is circumcised, many commentators wonder if this man will be a Jew. Regardless, he is one who mimics rather than having actual power. He speaks like the dragon, and he has little horns, but he only has power when he's in the presence of Antichrist. When Satan deems it necessary, he even gives this false prophet the ability to do what God had the real prophets do. He calls down fire from heaven. Huh. Because when the two witnesses call down fire from heaven, the earth dwellers rage and fume and sputter. But when the false prophet performs the same supernatural event, the earth dwellers stand in awe and wonder, and they worship him. Oh, the hypocrisy. But it gets worse. The false prophet has a huge image built, a replica of Antichrist, and Satan gives the false prophet the ability to breathe life into the image so that it speaks and spouts smoke. And people around the world are forced to line up and worship this idol, and if they don't, the idol kills them. The number of supernatural events that Satan causes during the Great Tribulation are many and varied, and they always end in death for someone Satan needs these supernatural events to get people to believe in him. Now contrast that to the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not perform miracles to gather followers. Rather, the Lord worked miracles to save people's lives. Christ healed and drove out demons to stop suffering. Christ taught and preached and worked his entire ministry so people would see the love of his father through him. He never boasted. He never puffed up. He never dressed in fine clothing. He never deceived. Jesus was humble and meek and oftentimes absolutely silent. He wouldn't even defend himself when he was falsely accused by the Pharisees, Sadducees, Jewish priests, and Pontius Pilate. Interestingly, even when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Jewish leadership that had him crucified called out to him to perform one last miracle. They challenged him by saying, If you are the Son of God, come down off that cross. Well, how many miracles did they need to witness before they would believe? They'd seen so many they wanted him dead. If Jesus had exited that old tree, they would have found yet another excuse not to believe him because, like the earth dwellers, their minds were made up. They chose Satan. Additionally, if Jesus had agreed to pop those nails, not one single person, animal, or any part of earth would be redeemed. All would be lost as the original curse would remain forever. 
And that is precisely why Satan had those Jewish leaders taunt him. But Jesus did not give in to the pain, anguish, suffering, or rejection he experienced during the last 24 hours of his life. Jesus knew he had to die to be resurrected and live forever because he is the bridge back to God. And although Satan supernaturally resurrects Antichrist, that will not help these three in the end, for all of them are going to be utterly and thoroughly destroyed later in Revelation. What's more, they know they're going to be destroyed. Satan is master of the scriptures. He knows the Bible inside out, and he knows it in Latin, Greek, Aramaic, and both the ancient and current Hebrew languages. Lastly, God provides some information regarding the number 666. He tells the reader there is wisdom in his word, for the number 666 is the number of a particular man, and that is Antichrist, who is indwelled by Satan. They are one and the same. Research indicates the single number six is God's number for mankind in general. The Sabbath, which is man's day of rest, is on the sixth day of the week. The evil giant Goliath, who was defeated by David, was six cubits tall. His spear weighed six shekels, and he wore six pieces of armor. King Nebuchadnezzar's image that he made people worship was 60 cubits high, six cubits wide, and it held six musical instruments. Some theologians believe King Solomon, the wise, was a type of occultist 666 as listed in 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. I'm not convinced of that, but he did end his life poorly for being the wisest man ever to walk the face of the earth. So, how many times is Antichrist labeled in Scripture? He has 33 names in the Old Testament and 13 in the New. Here are but a few of those references. He's called adversary in Psalms, Isaiah, Lamentations, and other books. He's called an Assyrian in Micah, Nahum, and other books. He's called the bloody and deceitful man in Psalms. He's labeled chief prince, crooked serpent, cruel one, and the destroyer of the Gentiles. There are 26 additional names just in the Old Testament. As mentioned before, the man whom Satan indwells is the epitome of evil. And so, dear friends, take heed of the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God today as you seek a deeper personal relationship with Him. Thank you for joining me and know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you very much. And so do we. Until next week, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen.